Good morning. You guys would open your word up this morning to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, if you didn't, you'll recognize the content once you get located there, but perhaps one of the more famous passages in the Bible is where we're going to be spending, so most of us already have some kind of a idea about what this chapter is about. Once we start reading it, you'll remember suddenly the whole story. You've got some notes in front of you. I always encourage you. Notes are there for help uh, if they help. For some people, notes don't help. I've actually had people say, hey, I wish you wouldn't give us the notes. Well, I wish you wouldn't take them then. (laughs) Uh, They're there for people who want them. If you don't want them, don't use them. Uh, But if you do use them, jot some things down and revisit them with the Lord. Now, what you're going to notice there, I'm going to do something this morning uh, that I don't normally do. At some point, I'm going to derail the message, and that's just because I just pray and had a sense from God to derail the message. So at some point, you're going to suddenly feel the service jar to the left, and we're going to go in a different direction than what you have on your piece of paper there. And I'm warning you about that in advance because I know if you've been here for a while, you kind of get used to, well, get comfortable. Keith's going to be here for a while. Um, And we're going to be listening for a little while here. And so if I derail us, you you might suddenly get startled and have to wake up, and I don't want to do that to you. So stay awake (laughs) right until the moment when I derail us. Um, I I do have to say this. I I know it may be depending on where you've been in church and and how you engage uh, church activity. This is not, I, I don't think we do a lot of things the way to be done as a church, but, you know, we, we, we typically take about an hour in the Word on, on Sunday, and I would love to be more efficient uh, in my use of words and time, so that, that's, not, that's not a preference on my end, but it just is the way it is. Now, quite honestly, what you don't realize is if I didn't edit what I'm doing while we're sitting up here talking, we'd be here an hour and a half, an hour and 45 minutes easy, <clears throat> so I'm, I'm live editing. You just don't realize I'm doing that, uh, but here's, here's where I don't want to necessarily apologize for that because we, we live in a, an information age that's drowning us in information. And, and you know, nobody's hoping that Bill O'Reilly is going to cut back to 45 minutes, right? He's an hour, you know, and you, you tune in and there you are. He's, he's going for an hour and you're going to be there for an hour. Or, um, you know, I, I watched Dateline the other night, right? You know, Dateline's an hour program, right? I wasn't looking for them. Hey, can you cut the story short here? You know, how about 45 minutes? You know, it's a full hour. Can we get to the point that the guy actually killed his wife and that when the mystery is over? Can we get there a little bit faster? I was good to sit still for that for an hour, right? I mean, hey, I, I watched the NFL draft, for goodness sake. You know, how exciting is that? Uh, no offense, guys, but, you know, I watched the draft. And so I, I was, that was a whole lot more than an hour of me watching and, you know, just waiting for the one team I care about while all these other teams pick people that I don't even know who they are for much more than an hour. So listen... You and I do a lot of stuff for an hour that's not nearly as valuable as hearing to the Word of God for an hour. So let's train ourselves to value this time uh, and to appreciate it carefully. Exodus chapter 3, let me just give you a little preview before we get into the passage itself. You know, we're going we're to zoom into about 1450 B.C., so we're going back quite a bit in time, and we're going to go from the sprawling metropolis of Egypt that we've been in in the first couple of chapters and all the activity of the Egyptians and their, their commerce and their, their industry, they've, they've got it going on. And then we're going to travel way into the wilderness and we're going to find an individual guy named Moses who's, who's hanging out, doing life. And this amazing thing is about to happen and it has such relevance for our lives. 
right? Moses is minding his business. The kingdom of God is going on, right? It's occurring. Moses is not aware of all that's taking place. But God is about to connect his kingdom to an individual, right? This, this work of God, all the things that God is doing in planet Earth in, in this particular season, God is about to pick that thing up and he's about to grab an individual guy named Moses and he's going he's gonna to bring them together. The kingdom is going to come into this man's life and, and it's going to matter. And he's going to respond. And that's a concern for the people of God today. Right? I, don't, don't raise your hands on this question. but How many of you care significantly about the kingdom of God coming in your day, in your life, in this church, in this city? How many of us care about the kingdom of God? The Lord's Prayer teaches us to pray that way. You know, let your kingdom come, Lord. Wherever it is and however it's not here right now, God, let it come. Well, that's, that's the heartbeat of what a Christian feels now, I, I know we say, you know, if I ask any Christian walking through the doors, do you, do you care that the kingdom of God comes? Everybody would say yes. All right. did, you, did you spend any time crying out to God about that this week? Did you set aside time to pray and, and touch the kingdom of God like its need and the brokenness of this world and the darkness of life and the, and the displacement of God? that is all around us and in people's hearts and lives who are too busy to give God the time of day? Did you you pray about that before God like it matters? Did you you resist and fight sin and its intrusion into your life? The Bible talks about you've not yet shed blood in your resistance of sin, right? You're not dead in the face of this world's encroachment and pushing itself upon you. Did did it matter to you that sin will come no farther in my life and and I fought it and I stood in its face this week and resisted it and I sought God's word to have wisdom as to how to walk that out? Did did you 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 just had an opportunity financially to participate in the kingdom of God? Have, Have you been financially participating in the kingdom of God? Have you told anybody about Christ lately? Or have the patterns of life, you know, created disconnection from lost people and, and, and no sense of ability for us to, to tell them about the kingdom of God? We're just doing life. I'm just busy doing life. Listen, if, if you go through a checklist of those kinds of things and you can't find them in your life and then someone walks up and says, do you care about the kingdom of God? Can you still say yes, really? I don't know if we're qualified to say yes. This man named Moses is about to have his world turned upside down. When we meet Moses in just a moment, he's, he's 80 years old. And God's about to show up with the kingdom agenda for his life and for what God's doing somewhere else, hundreds and hundreds of miles away from home for him now, and disrupt his world in an incredible way. Because, you know, there's some insights here, right? The Bible's written down to help us have understanding. There's some great insights here about how does God's kingdom agenda get connected to your individual life, right? This is a merciful moment here because God finds this man, sets a bush on fire on the side of the mountain, and absorbs this man into his plan. This man goes on minding his own business his own way unless God does that. 
How gracious of God, how merciful of God to draw this man into his kingdom work. And listen, can we have faith in a God like that, that he still does that? He still does that in your world. He still connects obscure things and stuff that we never thought could find their way to each other. God causes that to happen. Can you lay your head on the pillow at night and know that, God, I have no idea how this ever happens, but that's what you do. You're a specialist at that, right? That's what God's going to do today. And I look back in the rearview mirror of my life, and I see God having done that. You know, pulled my hair out, freaked out, you know, earlier. But, you know, you look back in the rearview and say, hey, God connects his kingdom to my life. He just does, right? So, you know, there's no explanation for my wife and I being married and having the life that we have together. You know, I was 21 years old when we met. You know, we didn't grow up down the street from each other. We didn't attain the chain church. We, didn't, we weren't in the church youth group together. Just, there was just no vehicle for me to ever even know her. And yet, we go back and we rehearse our circumstances of how did that ever happen? And you're kind of like, wow, that's just bizarre that we ever even met. And that in meeting that we did, didn't sort of high five from a distance, nice to know you never talk to you again. But somehow in that one moment, God said, nope, this is permanent, watch. And you know, I had no idea, she had no idea. And the next thing you know, here you go, you're connected into the purpose of God. You know, I remember years ago, Gina remember after we, had, we were married and you know, I was always wrestling with the sense of calling in my life and what God had for me to do. And, uh, do a college, do a Bible college, and then I went off and, and, and got an engineering degree and was involved in this church and, and serving and, and working just downtown uh, and wrestling with this sense of, of call that I had in my heart that God had this other thing for me to be doing, but having no idea, how, how do I even go about doing that? How does the kingdom connect with me? And I remember, you know, Gina and I had many conversations in those days. It's like, I feel like I'm supposed to be there at some point, but I'm here and I have no idea how to get from here to there. It just doesn't look like any kind of a way. And that, that grew in intensity in about 1993, I guess it was, um, and 92, and just wrestled with God, wrestled with God, and just, oh, Lord, I don't know how to get from here to there. And, and next thing you know, God begins to move and he, and he just connects your kingdom, his kingdom to your life. So, and listen, you've got your own story. You've got your own place where you're wondering, how do I get from here to there? How does my life ever do this? You know, if you're single, how do I ever found my spouse? How, how do I get connected in a career? How do I do that? Well, listen, if your ambition, warning, if your ambition is just to do whatever feels right for you and according to your preferences, well, then everything I'm about to say, I'm not sure it applies to you. And what we're about to see here, God is wanting to connect his kingdom to your life. Are you interested in his kingdom? Do you want his kingdom to come? Because, you know, Moses, you know, the most challenging thing Moses was doing before God shows up in an amazing way was, hey, you sheep, hey, 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 get back over here. I'm serious. Don't make me come over there. All right, and at the end of this story, he's in the face of Pharaoh, the most intimidating human being on earth who thinks he's God incarnate. And he's having a little different conversation with him than the sheep. That's a radical change. This man gets about kingdom business in an incredible way. So that's kind of where our story is going to take us today. So let's look in Exodus chapter 3. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, 
right, many miles away from Egypt, Midian's many miles away. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, and yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name, what, what will I say? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do, have done in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty-handed, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any man, woman who lives in her house for silver, gold jewelry, and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Lord, another 
uniquely phrased and captured revelation written down for our example and for our instruction upon whom the end of the age has come. So, Father, open our hearts now to your word. Let us not have ears that are dull, but ears that hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just move us through some noteworthy observations in this passage of a man encountering God's purpose in life. And and listen, everybody here, Moses is Hall of Fame. You and I are garden variety, right? So it's very easy to read the Bible and say, well, of course, that stuff applies to Moses. He's Moses. All right, well, you know, God is the same God to all of us. God's purpose exists for all of us. And so you and I may not ever have a Moses-type assignment, but we have an assignment, The Bible makes that clear, especially in the New Testament. We get a lot of revelation about the individuality that God has created, gifts and ability and uniqueness for every life. So every person here created by God is created for a purpose that is is revealed in God. Moses is about to come in touch with that purpose. Let me say this to make sure your purpose doesn't get too personalized and not God-centered. Every person, every Christian here has a purpose in fulfilling the Great Commission. Right? Great Commission, taking the gospel into all the world, preaching this message of the cross, revealing the person of Christ, building a community that bears witness to God where he may dwell among us. Every Christian has a role to play in that. Whether you've discovered it or not, but every Christian has that role to play. Well, here's some helpful insights about this call coming to Moses. Verse 1, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. Right? Here's Moses. Moses is just doing life here. And I think that's important. Moses is just doing normal life. Moses is a normal, responsible guy. N- Moses has a job. Moses is gainfully employed. All right, now that may not be applicable for you, but... Sometimes, sometimes, especially, you, you'll know yourself here. You, maybe you're in the room and you're this way. Sometimes when you start waiting for that ultimate thing in life, you start getting immobilized by that. You know, I'm waiting for this revelation of ultimately, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? Well, you wait long enough and you, you slow down your life to this grinding halt. And you just don't do anything. Right? You, 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 the jobs that you have, they're not, they're not going anywhere. They're just... They're just just filling up time, filling up space. You know, I don't have any direction about my life. I'm not fulfilling something in my life. That's not a good place to be. That's not how we're wired to be. We're wired to be fulfilled and faithful in what we're called to do. Philip Ryken says that the day had probably begun, much like any other, with Moses out in the wilderness tending sheep. He was simply minding his own business. But a person never knows when his life might be changed forever by an encounter with the living God. And I think it's helpful for us to hear you encounter God when you go about being responsible with what God's called you to do today. Not when you just wait. I'm just kind of waiting to see if God's going to show up with some divine assignment for my life. Okay, well, get about doing effectively just the day-to-day stuff you're called to do right now. Give yourself to that. God will meet you in that and reveal to you this grand and glorious plan that he has. Now, I just want to just tweak something out here and just install it as something we're going to visit in just a little bit further when we get into these plagues and some of the other stuff that God does. 
One of the things that, that draws me to this book, I believe it's one of the reasons why God has us studying this book, is that when you read the book of Exodus, you encounter a God who seems to think he has the right to do whatever he wants to whoever he wants, whenever he wants. Have you noticed that? Now, why do I think that's particularly important? Because perhaps like no other age in modern history, we are a culture that doesn't like authority. We, unless we're the ones with the authority. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. We don't want anybody thinking they got the right to be the boss of me and tell us how to do something, when to do something, what our life is supposed to be, right? Personal expressiveness is at an all-time high. That's what we're supposed to be pursuing in life. But then you meet the God in Exodus, and he shows up in everybody's life as though he's got the right to tell anybody what to do and to bring circumstances into their life however he feels he wants to do it. Right? We've already met the God who waited 430 years to alleviate difficulty. How many of us like that deal? That's an authority deal. That's God who says, I have the right to wait. How many of you guys have argued with God because he's taking too stinking long in your life? Right? There's a category that you're in. There's suffering that you're in. There's difficulty that you're in. You don't like the fact that God's taking so long. And he keeps acting like he's got the right to do that. Because he does. And then, you know, he's going he's gonna to really mess up Pharaoh's world in just a little bit here. And he acts like he's got the right to do that. But he shows up here in Moses' life. Moses, he, the dude's 80 years old. Now, I don't know what you plan on doing when you're 80. But, you know, I'm not even thinking I'm going to be up to tending sheep. But that's slow moving. I don't know, maybe I can sit down most of the day, get some help. But, you know, travel all the way across the desert with a stick in my hand and confront some guy named Pharaoh and overthrow a government and then turn around and have a game plan to lead a couple of million people out into the wilderness where there's no McDonald's. I mean, there's, I mean this does not sound like an assignment at 80. Anybody's going, yes, I'm good, 80. And God's shows up in Moses' life, and, you know, there, there's no request here. Did you notice this? We just read the story. Hey, Moses, how would you feel about <laughs> Just wondering if you might be available. <laughs> it's, that's not it. I have come down to rescue, and you're going to get Pharaoh and tell him to let the people go. It's not a request. That's how God is. And he doesn't mind being that way in your life. He's, he's not looking for permission to be God in your life. He's looking for us to respond as though he has the authority and the right to command our lives to do whatever it is he has for us to do. Look in verse 2. Here's God's exchange. God draws near to Moses, and Moses turns aside to encounter God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked. Behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. And this is, this is extremely helpful, extremely insightful, and it's a little idea or concept we read past pretty fast, right? I want you to notice in this passage, and I think this is normal in the Christian world, there are two encounters in this passage. 
Not one, there are two encounters in this passage. The first one comes to Moses while he's at the foot of a mountain and you got a backdrop of this massive mountain range behind him and he's in the valley with sheep. And, and, you know, perhaps all day long he looks up and he keeps seeing this little glimmering, sparkling orange fire on the side of the mountain. It's, it's not getting any bigger. It's not going out. He looks at it and he sees it. Well, that's interesting. I don't know if he's got helpers with him. He pulls them over and says, what is that? That's, that's different. Wow, that's, I mean, we've been here all day and that thing just keeps sitting there just like that. All right, so... That's his first encounter with the manifestation of God. I'm going to call it distant burning bush encounter with God. He just had a distant burning bush encounter with God. But then the Bible highlights something that he did in response to that first encounter. It says he turned aside. So Turning aside means I'm, I'm absorbed in some way in this. I'm living in this moment. I'm paying attention to this. This has kind of got my attention a little bit, but this is what's holding my interest right now. Turning aside means, okay, you be quiet. What on earth is that? And now he's going to head up the side of the mountain here. And, you know, there's some, there's some issues here, right, in this kind of turning aside to encounter God because he's going to have a very different encounter with God. Right? He's going to get close to God and he's going to get on holy ground here and a revelation of God is going to come that has words in it, that has a personal revealing of God and it has a mission attached to it. Now, how many of you recognize this? The burning bush encounter didn't have any of that. He walks away from a burning bush encounter, pretty cool, pretty amazing. He's got a story to tell, but he's got no direction in his life. He doesn't know God any more deeply than he knew him before. He had one encounter that led to another encounter. Now, what's interesting here is, I mean, let's make Moses a human being. There had to have been, like all of us, obstacles and challenges for him to, quote, turn aside. I'm I'm sure, like all of us, he had some idea that he was busy. I'm sure turning aside had consequences. You ever feel like turning aside to draw near to God is going to create consequences? You know, I I don't have the time for that. If I turn, if I, if, I, if I don't take care of this, because the deadline for this is Friday, if I don't take care of this, it's, it's going to go into mayhem. Life's going to get complicated. I mean, you understand, this is pressing and urgent. I, I don't know that I can turn from this to do that. I mean, if I, if I turn from this, these sheep are going to scatter. You know, I don't feel like spending half the night chasing these things down. I, I, I've been there before. I've got to pay attention to them, keep them close. And, and boy, that's a long trek up that mountain. I mean, I don't even know if I could get up that way. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons not to turn aside. But it's turning aside that opens up a whole new realm of who God is and whoever Moses is ever going to be in his life. I think I wrote this in your outline. You wonder how many of God's people have some sort of distant burning bush story to tell about God but not a voice and a mission encounter with God's story. We've got a little bit of idea about what God's like, right? A little fire idea, God's fiery. We've got a little bit of description we can give, a little bit of something from a distance that we've seen in God, but not this deep, intimate knowledge of God where we know God personally. We know him by name, and we're on a mission that God has spoken to us 
about do or die activity in our life. You do that even if it kills you. I don't know if there's a lot of us in this room that are engaging an assignment from God with a heart that says, I'll, I'll die doing this, but I will not quit doing it. That's what this guy's gonna get. But please notice, he's not gonna get it by hanging out with the sheep and staring at God from a distance. He's gonna get it when he turns aside from this and he gets near to God and God rewrites his life. And then God's gonna introduce us to something that I, I am captured by this morning. This is what's gonna derail us. A concept called holy ground. Holy ground, verse five. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. All right, can I just help us see something that's obvious? There's an obvious thing in this passage. And, and sometimes, like me, I'm sure you can read the Bible and overlook the obvious. It's amazing that it's obvious, but yet we overlook it. Right, here's the obvious thing. At some point... Moses turns aside. At some point, he travels toward the manifestation of God, and he crosses some kind of invisible line. And now, you are on holy ground. What was he on before? I don't know. I don't know what to call it, <clears throat> but it's not holy ground. Common ground? Everyday ground? Ground beef? I don't know. It's just ground, you know? <laughs> There, there's, something, there's something different about holy ground, right? There's something different that whatever Moses was, turn this aside, moving toward God, moving toward God, moving toward God, but you can get around God at some moment on holy ground. And listen, th this holy ground, is, it's not a shrine. You know, people try to go back and find these locations, you know, on earth, you know, if you could find this place on Mount Sinai. Can I just tell you if, you, if you could find this place, it ain't holy anymore. It's just a bunch of rocks and maybe a bush still there. I don't know. What made it holy? God being there in a particular way. Because God is everywhere, isn't he? So, so God was in the valley when he was tending the sheep, wasn't he? Yeah. <clears throat> but it wasn't holy ground. And he gets up here. And he begins to approach God and get near to God. And in this setting, when God is doing this thing, hey, 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 dude, you best be careful right here. You be casual down there, but right here, stop, Moses. Don't come any closer. He's not hearing that down there. He's hearing that here. Take your shoes off. This is not ground like any other ground you've been walking on. This, this is different. That's how God is. That's how God works in our lives. There, there is holy ground where God is doing something unique that we need to learn to identify where is that holy ground in our lives. A.W. Tozer says, the presence of God is the central fact of Christianity. At the heart of the Christian message is God himself. And you guys know I beat that drum a lot because it gets lost a lot. We turn all kinds of stuff into the central element of Christianity. All kinds of things. God himself. 
waiting for his redeemed children to push into conscious awareness of his presence. A knowing of God with intimacy and impact and nearness and affection and reality. Not just concepts at a distance. We are satisfied to rest in our judicial possessions. And for the most part, we bother ourselves very little about the absence of personal experience. Oh, that's only Mr. Tozer can do. I think he had that name for a reason, Tozer, because he's going to step on toes every time the dude spoke. This is too true. It's too true for me. It's too true for modern Christianity. We, we have these judicial possessions. You know what those judicial possessions are? They're stuff you can open up to in Romans and find out they're in your bank account. Oh, I didn't even know that. Well, they were there anyway. You belong to God. You're a child of God. Well, I barely even understand that. Well, you are anyway. You're guaranteed heaven. You've got promises coming out your ears. You have an inheritance. Oh, you didn't read the will. No, is that mine? Yeah, it's yours. Judicially, it's yours whether you're stupid about it or not. There are things that Jesus Christ did on the cross for us that they are ours. No matter how little I understand them or know about them, they're mine. And we get content with that. Hey, well, that's cool. I'm good with, yeah, I'm seated in heavenly places. No idea what that means, but it sounds cool. How about, when's the last time you personally experienced the fellowship the connection, the nearness, the reality of a God who communicates, who brings awareness of his bigness, of his greatness in our lives. We get overwhelmed and undone, and we sense God's love and affection and care, and we trust him. There's an exchange taking place between us, and we, we don't seem to be concerned about that. We can misplace that in our lives. These holy ground moments don't exist enough for us. They're not everyday moments, by the way. Right? Moses didn't live on holy ground 24-7. But he did experience holy ground, and we must too. Tozer says the world is perishing for lack of the knowledge of God, and the church is famishing for want of his presence. How many of you guys know God is present everywhere, right? Didn't you read the Bible? God is omnipresent. Right? So when it comes to you seeking God, what, what exactly are you seeking? You, you're just seeking a more profound awareness that God is everywhere, that there's this concept of God out there, that he's a big God. You know, I'm, I'm going to actually use the Bible, and, and I'm going to point you to two passages here in just a second. You can run there with me if you want. Psalm 19 and Romans chapter 1. And can I just tell you, this is what the Bible reveals, but can I also tell you that this is not the relationship God wants to have with you. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out Speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. So it's not that kind of speech, 
But the Bible says that creation talks to us. Creation has a message for us. You gaze into the heavens, if you'll take a few moments to do that, the heavens will speak back to you. You look at creation, the creation will speak to you. It doesn't use words, but it speaks to you. Okay? And then you will fall into the category of Romans chapter 1. Speaking of individuals who have had a Psalm 19 encounter with God, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. They get it. They see something because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Right? God says, hey, listen, I made you to recognize it's a ridiculous thought for you to think that stuff came from non-stuff. That nothing created everything. There's something inside of you. I don't care who you are here today. There's something inside of you that says, yeah, that's pretty stupid. Well, it's Romans 1. It's God saying there's eternal dimensions of God that only the God who is eternal, who has no beginning, could be responsible for creating everything that is. And creation testifies to us about that. It tells us about that. Can I just tell you, that's not the relationship God wants to have with you. Those people who know that stuff are still under the wrath of God. They don't have a relationship with him. They've got at best, hey, isn't that interesting? Look at that fire on the side of the mountain. Hmm. It doesn't ever burn out. That's not natural. It must be supernatural. And you just go back about your business. And that's all the knowledge of God you've got. You don't know him as Yahweh. You didn't draw near to this God and get on holy ground so that God could say, this is my name. I am. That's where we get the word Yahweh. God personally saying who he is. There's a difference between a Moses who stands in the valley and lives his life and has burning bush concepts about God from a distance and the one who gets on holy ground and gets a revelation of this God that is personal and launches him into a purpose that this personal God has. There's a big difference. Listen, there's a difference, right? When you drive home today and you drive down a street, to your left and to your right, there will be house after house, and there will be a front door on that house. And what every one of us will assume as we drive past those houses is somebody lives there. Right? Do you drive down the street and go, nobody lives there. Nobody lives there. Nobody lives there. You drive past, and there's a revelation. That house speaks to you when you drive by. Someone lives here, and you have no idea who they are. Unless they're one of your neighbors, but when you drive through a neighbor, you don't know who they are. Listen, all this, there is a level of revelation about God that is not the stopping point. It's the starting point. The burning bush at a distance is just the front door. If you want to know the people who live there, you're going to have to go through the front door and encounter the people who live there. And if you want to know God, you're going to have to turn aside and get on holy ground 
and let God reveal himself to you. And that's what happens in this man's life. Right? Ponder for a moment the story of Moses, which we wouldn't even be talking about, but let's ponder the story we'd be talking about today. If Moses had only the first encounter with God, he saw God's work at a distance, peculiar, unusual, only explainable by somehow God might be involved, and he went back about his business, and he goes home. What, 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 does, what does he go home and say? Honey, you should have seen what I saw today. Man, was it cool. It was amazing. So, so the guy lives the rest of his life with this amazing story about a bush that didn't get consumed, just burned and burned and burned and burned and burned. That's his revelation. Again, can I alarm us with something here? I, I think there's way too many Christians who have that kind of a revelation from God, and that's all they've got to talk about. For them, meeting God on holy ground and having him turn your world upside down, redefine who you are, come in contact with his authority where he says, hey, you thought you were going to do this, you're doing this. This is who I am. I'm up to something. Do you know I'm up to something? I'm doing something in this world. I'm not joining you in what you're doing. You're joining me in what I'm doing. Moses, don't come bring your, I, God, I'm so glad you're here. I've got some huge requests because these sheep don't listen. I mean, it's long hours. Can we improve some? This is not God seeking to join Moses. This is God redefining Moses. There just aren't enough of us who have been redefined by an encounter with God. And I think it's because we don't know what holy ground is and we don't know how to get on it. There's a little church culture commentary I put in your outline there. This is me having something to say about the culture of the church today. Could it be that too many Christians only have a vision for living in the common spaces of life? They don't have a category for extraordinary kingdom activity. They just want to be moms, dads, responsible employees, decent citizens, and church attenders who have a profession of faith in Christ. But that overlooks the call to go into the world and make disciples, to become fishers of men and not just fishermen. Was there something wrong with being fishermen, Keith? Is that what you're trying to say? No, I'm not trying to say that at all. But there's a, there's a moment in which God assigns your life to something that's much bigger, and it might cause you to give up your business as the apostles did and gave up being fishermen, or it might not. But it redefines who you are and why you are who you are. Listen, I'm not trying to create this, you know, this debate in the church for years, this division between the secular and the sacred. If you're a theologian guy, you kind of know what I'm talking about. You know, the idea that there's, there's sacred activity in life and there's secular activity in life. And so all, only the sacred stuff gets highlighted and talked about. And, you know, all the secular stuff, that's what, was that where you go to work and you drive a car and you eat at restaurants. All, it's, it's all secular. And so, listen, I don't believe in that. Okay, I don't believe in that. That's all mixed together. And so there isn't this, oh, you know, all of us who quit our jobs and became pastors, we're doing sacred work and the rest of y'all are all doing secular work. I don't believe that. As a matter of fact, I believe very few people are called to quit their job and, and do something like this full time. I think more people than are thinking that they're called need to listen to God. But I think very few people are really called to do that. So there is not this 
well, there's sacred work and there's secular work. But there is, in this passage, holy ground and common ground. Right? There are stuff that's just, we're just doing the common stuff of life. And, and listen, I don't think God had any displeasure in what Moses was doing before he turned aside. I don't, this, I don't, Moses didn't need to repent of being a shepherd. I've been doing the wrong thing all these years. He was being faithful with what he knew to do with his life. And that's what anybody should be doing. But there's a moment in which God comes in and redefines your existence. And you will never know that moment unless you figure out where holy ground is in life so that God can stop being this burning bush, distant manifestation that sits way over there, has some kind of curiosity in, in our world, but it doesn't engage us and revolutionize and redefine us. And that's what happened in Moses' life and in many others in Scripture, by the way. So my question for us this morning, this is where I'm going to stop. Do you recognize any holy ground settings in your life? Do you recognize any holy ground settings in your life? Right in your outline, I think I put this there. Places where God has set his presence differently for you to know and encounter him. Differently. Places that you don't treat as common and routine. Places where you take your shoes off. You turn aside from something else to be there. Is anything coming to mind right now? Can I tell you the most obvious one that should be coming to mind right now? The meeting you're sitting in right now. The day this just becomes another thing that you do is the day you might as well hang out with the sheep and stare at God from a distance. Say, I went to church today. Yeah, God looked like a little burning ember in the distance, just like he always does. But I was at church. Listen, the, in, the, in the church world today, Sunday morning is the last bastion of neglect for modern Christians. They have, they have long ago taken this holy ground and lost it. They've got this little burning bush sitting on a shelf somewhere, somewhere in their life at a distance. This encounter with God, it sits. I remember something about it. It glows. It's warm. It's got heat. There's a little bit of a something left in me from that. Prayer meetings, you know the churches normally, normal churches used to have prayer meetings where people showed up and they humbled themselves before God and they desperately admitted their need for God to do something. They looked for God's hand. They interceded for something besides themselves in those meetings. You know how many people show up for prayer meetings today? Which is just a revelation of personal prayer meetings. This is, this is all holy ground, by the way. These are holy ground settings. Personal, turn aside, take my routine, my pressing daily events, Put them to the side, travel up the mountain, get along with God, draw in close enough to have God say, stop right there and have your attention. Be disturbed. When was the last time you were around God and you were disturbed by being around God? Right? Moses was afraid. See, we don't have these encounters. And we wonder why we don't know God. 
this meeting can become a burning bush in the distance if we show up at all. Because we've got so many other things going on, you understand. I can't turn aside from the sheep. They'll scatter. I'll come back and they'll be dirty. I've got laundry to do and children's noses to wipe, you understand. Yeah, I understand. I've lived life too. But the holy God of the universe, who has all authority in this world, stands and says, stand right here. Oh, well, God, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I'm available for that. And listen, some of us could show up here and still stare at God from a distance. You know, when we, we stand, we have a worship team, a band that stands up here, and they, they sing, and we, we put the glory of God before us in words and in song. What, what, what kind of an exchange you have with God in that moment? Is it dripping with affection? Are you a Christian who tells God, I love you a lot? Do you say thank you to God often? Do you tell God you're amazed? Do you scratch your head in his presence and wonder, God, why are you hanging out with me? Why are you listening to anything I have to say? Do you have, are you in touch with humility? When you hear a song about something great about God, do you, do you sing it loudly? Or are, you, are you just, no, Keith, I don't, I don't turn aside. See, that's not my personality. Listen, it was not mine. You guys have heard my story. I thought singing was for girls. I mean, today that doesn't work real well. I mean, it's a lot of confusion about what's for boys and girls. But back in my day, it was pretty clear. Singing's for girls. Now, come to church here. These people are singing. Men are singing. It took me a little while to get the idea that I'm going to sing too. I was just there for a while. Listen, if you're just here for a while, I get that. That's true. Work through it. But at some point, you're made to be expressive to God. At some point in this setting, when we sing about God, it's an affectionate display. It's a love note to God. It's everything in me. Can't find enough words. Thanks for the help with these words. But I'm here to pour myself out before God. Do you know how many people sit in churches and stare at the burning bush from a distance? One of the things the book of Exodus is going to do for us, and I don't, I don't kind of know how to adjust us in this category, is when, when you meet with God in the book of Exodus, it's, it's not a casual thing. It's a holy thing. And, and it has those moments when God is in that place. Listen, this doesn't mean that God is a, it's not okay with casual in other places. He is. Moses can be as casual as he wants as he's hanging out with his sheep and doing his job. That's fine. But when he gets in certain places on holy ground, he's expected to treat this differently. Take your shoes off, Moses. Don't, don't, don't come in here with the same sort of feel about your life as you have over there because you, you won't encounter me. So let me get your attention here. And so... I haven't asked any of the leadership team permission in some of this category. Go with it, brother. Go with it. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm thinking of a, of a big sign up here that says, turn off your cell phones. You are on holy ground. Amen. See, there's something about turning aside. 
You know, you know, there's something about turning aside and not turning aside. There are some Christians who have lived their whole life and they've never turned aside. They don't know how to turn down the noise. They don't know how to say this gets to be in my back, in my rear view, and I'm not even paying attention to it right now. Important stuff, stuff that you're responsible for. There is a God in the universe who maintains the idea that he has first claims on you more than your husband, your wife, your children, your job, your boss, anybody. The God of the universe expects you to drop everything when he calls. Nothing's more important than him in our lives. How about we just do this for a moment? How about you just reach in your pocket right now and turn your cell phone off? I'm serious. If you have one. It has an off button, by the way. <laughs> I don't ever use my off button. I just let it run perpetually. I'm not sure mine responds when I press off. There we go. <laughs> that's where you that's a good place for it when you come in here, right? That's turning aside. Eric, go ahead and, and come back up here. So much for preaching short. Let me give you this last thought. I don't, I don't know. This may be on a slide. It was the last quote in your outline. It's from A.W. Pink. He says, this sets forth a truth of vital moment to the servant of God. Before Moses can be sent forth on his important mission, he must first behold the ineffable glory of the Lord. Before you can be on a mission for the glory of God, you have to have some kind of a clue as to what the heck is the glory of God. We use that term, I love that phrase, for the glory of God. And there are life assignments, the size of them, the intensity of them, the fact that you are called to them and not that, the fact that this is wise and that's unwise, the fact that this is holy, that's not, the fact that this is righteous and that's unrighteous. You don't have those labels until you've been in the presence of God. So wherever we're trying to figure out what we're supposed to be doing next, if all you got is an awareness of you and human nature and the world around you, then you're probably called to something about this big. That's all you got in you. That's all I've got in me. I promise you, there ain't no way on God's earth I'm standing up here doing what I'm doing right now unless holy ground happened in my life. I can tell you that right now. I... I, I've grown to, like, I did not like this. I ran from this with everything in me. I was a good impersonator of Moses. I would talk God into something else, but you are not going to put me in front of a bunch of eyeballs and have them waiting for me to say something next to them. You ain't doing that to me, God. So the second, any kind of a sense in me was, you know, but yeah, but you can, you can communicate something to people. That's fine. I'll be a counselor. One person across the desk, and I'll just try and help that one person but you are not sticking me in front of a whole bunch of people. You're not going to do it. Until you get around the glory of God. 
And all the things in your life that were this big that you thought were giant and you couldn't do them, you couldn't pull that off, you couldn't stay in that relationship, you couldn't work through difficulty, you couldn't take the gospel to a difficult person, you couldn't lead something in the kingdom of God because that thing that's that, it's that big is too big. But then you get around the glory of God and this God in all of his power communicates who he is. You get on holy ground and you take off the common and the, the presence of God reveals something to you and you experience what's in this book. And suddenly you are redefined and your life feels different. And what you said no to and what was impossible before, suddenly you're walking across a desert with a stick in your hand about to go confront the most powerful person in the world. And you're going to do it. And you're going to win. And you're going to keep going in God. But here's, here's my great concern. This would stop me. I don't think we know how to find holy ground anymore. I think everything's common ground. Everything has become common ground. This meeting, is this meeting common ground for you? Are you coming in here on a Sunday morning in a place that God is designed to dwell differently? That little phrase Peter has said, since the dawn of time, it's better in here than it is out there. I just tweak that a little bit. Can I tweak it? Can I mess with your copyright on that? It's different in here than it is out there. Whatever you were doing out there, I'm not trying to condemn what you were doing. Please don't hear me say that. Whatever you're doing throughout the week, whatever you're doing in your homes with your families, whatever you're doing as a personal hobby, it's not wrong, but it's different than what God's doing in here. And every Sunday, God sets a holy ground place for us to gather, to hear God say, hey man, stop right there. Turn your cell phone off. Are you ready to encounter me? You know who I am. You sense my nearness in your life. And I'm not just worried about what Sunday afternoon has going on or, oh my gosh, my work, my week is so busy this week. I'm not saying God doesn't care about those things. He cares about those things. But on holy ground, he cares about you facing and staring at him. He doesn't care in the same way about your writing assignment due on Monday in this moment. He does care about that. But you're on holy ground. Moses, don't talk to me about the sheep. Don't tell me about something else. Stare at me, Moses. You need to see me, Moses. You'll never do and you'll never be who I've called you to be. That's what this moment's about in here. That's why I don't rush. Because I know there's not much holy ground left. The people of God have suffered ground loss after ground loss. I know most of us aren't going to go home and open a Bible much this week. And if we do, it's going to be some cheesy little devotional that barely engages us that we just say we did it. I know most of us don't know what it is to do what the Puritans said, to pray until you pray, to press through the, the walls and the noise. There's so much noise in my life. It takes so long for it to get out of my head and be with God in a way that it feels like finally there's a flow coming this way in prayer. You know what I'm talking about? I could get a flow going this way right now. I can walk and pray with God right now. It's all coming this way. Moses got changed because the flow came this way into his life. That's a different prayer closet. And I know when you leave here, that ground is hard to find. And we gotta do something about that. Otherwise, we're going to have this little distant burning bush God 
And we've got some kind of little story to tell. But it's not this kind of story. And you'll never remember that guy Moses because all he saw was a burning bush on the side of the hill. You remember a guy who drew aside, got with God, encountered God, got his life rewritten, and went on for the glory of God. So let's, let's stand up together. Let's invite God to help us be on holy ground. Lord, Lord, all throughout your word, this is not not just a Moses moment. Lord, there are encounters with you that become redefining moments for people. It's places where the common gave way to the extraordinary, where the voice of God was pronounced and heard, where revelation of yourself and your character was given, and men became undone, whether it's Moses or Isaiah, Lord, men whose lives took on a different quality because they were with you on holy ground. Lord, you have assigned this meeting holy characteristics. Lord, we come together, and that's different than being apart. You assemble us, that's different than us being scattered. You call us to be faithful to this. Do not forsake the assembling because it's holy. It's a holy gathering. You have given us the word to preach and to meditate on and to receive. That's holy, God. We don't want to be casual. We don't want to have words at a distance. God, we need our hearts pierced. We need to be awakened. And it can happen right here in this moment. God, we take our shoes off. Shut our world out. All the noise, the temporary things, the disappointments, short-lived thrills. God, right now, what we want to see is you. We want to encounter Yahweh, the personal God who's got a purpose for every life in this room. God, would you give us ears to hear that? Lord, we're going to sing for a moment here, Lord, just to help our hearts sense what you're doing. But God, make this a holy setting. You've already made it a holy setting. Lord, would you help us to take our shoes off and be in this moment with you, Lord. courts of the king I've been ushered in to your presence Lord I stand on your merciful ground yet with every step tread with reverence welcomed in welcomed in to the courts of the king I've been ushered in to your presence. Lord, I stand on your merciful ground. Yet with every step, tread with reverence. And I fall. 
Hallelujah! There you have, you have a category to call that good. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good thing. But in, right in the middle of the heaviness of God and what He's like and His presence and His power, 
the correctiveness of God. You, you have to hold on to that while you hold on to the grace of God all at the same time. You should never have one of those in your hand without the other one available too. You, you're just not reading your Bible if you're doing that. Because here in this moment, a man is scared by the presence of God and experiences the nearness of God and falls to his face. But can you understand that it was grace that made that day ever happen? How did God get at Moses' doorstep? Well, by the grace of God, he traveled all the way from Egypt, if you will, into the wilderness to find a man doing his job and to set a bush on fire and draw him to himself. All of that was grace. So listen, having God draw us today to be near to him, to have him tell us this, I, I want a bigger piece of land in your life called holy ground. You have got to have holy ground in your life. You cannot make everything common ground. You will only know the God on the side of the mountain from a distance at best. You've got to have holy ground. So when, when you're thinking about Sunday morning, you think about holy ground. When you walk into this place on a Sunday morning, you take your shoes off. Well, don't take your shoes off, really, but turn your cell phone off. Holy ground gets created partially, mainly because God is there in a unique way and because you turn aside from something else to encounter him. If you fail on either one of those things, that ain't holy ground anymore. Or at least it's not a holy exchange anymore. So I, I encourage you, create holy ground space this week. There are other means through which God uniquely will dwell with you where it's not a common exchange. It's an extraordinary moment in our lives. Amen.